consciousness. It could be argued that this story that Jesus tells is the story which created the values which motivated those who set up our welfare state. Why should there be no person who is hungry, thirsty or naked in our society? Why should no person die of sickness without us doing what we can to bring healing or comfort? Why should we welcome the stranger? Why should we ensure that there is some compassion in our prisons? It's not universal. In many societies, there's been no prison reform. Strangers are dangerous and you have to, nothing to do with them. The sick will die and if you want to stay healthy, you avoid them. And the hungry, thirsty and naked are hungry, thirsty and naked because they deserve to be hungry, thirsty and naked. We live in a society which has been shaped by this book. Our values have been shaped by this book. And we dismiss this book at our peril. So, so what is this story saying? Well, is it telling us that if we want to go to heaven... We, we should be more loving. I mean, that's what people expect from church, isn't it? You come along and expect to be told to be a better person. Actually, it says nothing of the kind. First of all, what it does tell us is that there will be a judgment. Verses 31 to 33, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and there will be a separation. The sheep and the goats. The idea of judgment is a bit of a joke to people in our society who feel secure with our material possessions and our relatively comfortable lifestyle. And we have our myths about death. You know, we will die and go off to be with granny. There is no basis whatsoever for that hope apart from wishful thinking. I have far more time and respect for atheists or humanists who say that you die and that is it. But because of Jesus and because of his resurrection, I cannot accept that death is the end. Jesus is the one person who has been there, who has come back. And so when he speaks of death, we need to listen. He speaks as one who has authority. And he tells us that there will be a judgment, a sentencing, and a separation. He is the son of man. It's a reference uh, to Daniel chapter 7. And of course this is a picture story talking about a reality that is too big for our minds to grasp. But he is the king who sits on the throne and he will separate the sheep and the goats the righteous to life, to that which has been prepared for them since the creation of the world, and others to death, that eternal punishment. It's the consistent teaching of Jesus in the New Testament. We live once, we die, and we will face judgment. And secondly, the basis of judgment is on how we respond to Jesus. On, on first reading, it appears that the judgment in this story is based on what we do, on our actions. It appears that it's based on how we have shown 
love and practical compassion to others. If, if that is true, then my brothers and sisters, we have a really, really big problem. You see, there is a big danger that if you say that our eternal destiny is determined by how loving we are, it can lead to deep anxiety. Because those people who are actually pretty honest about themselves and look at themselves with integrity will start to realize, am I loving enough? When was the last time I gave a hungry person a meal or visited someone in prison or welcomed a stranger into my home? Or it leads to exhaustion. I must do more. Or it leads to legalism. You've got to provide so many meals, so many clothes, visit so many people. One thinks of the Pharisees of Jesus' day with their lists of what you could and could not do. If you did them, you got credit with God. Your credit rating improved significantly. Or, if we're not particularly discerning of ourselves, it leads to pride and judgmentalism. Oh, well, I'm quite a nice person, really. Uh, I'm fairly loving, uh, so I I must be a sheep. Uh, And those others out there, they're the goats. But but the good news of the New Testament is that we are told that judgment is not based on how loving we are because none of us is loving enough. Instead, it's based on how we've responded to the Lord Jesus, to his love for us, to his gift of forgiveness, to his promises, to the power that would enable us to, to begin. Notice that, hear that word, to begin to change. Uh, so what's going on here? Well, the nations, all peoples, that's everybody, are judged by, in this story, how they respond to Jesus' brothers or sisters who are in need. And when Jesus speaks about his brothers and sisters in Matthew's Gospel, he is very, very specific. He is talking about those who have put their trust in him. In Matthew 12, verse 46, Jesus asks, who is my mother and who are my brothers and sisters? And then he points at his disciples and says, here are my brothers and my sisters. Here is my family. So, so, so the judgment, the separation between the sheep and goats is not dependent on whether people, all nations, showed love in general but on whether they showed love in particular to Jesus' brothers and sisters. Because when they show love to Jesus' brothers and sisters, and this is the key, they are showing love to Jesus. The story is a commentary on Matthew 10.40. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. Anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. And he goes on to say, if anyone gives you even a glass of cold water because you're one of mine, their reward will be great. Now, now please don't get me wrong. I am not saying that it's only about how loving we are to, to Christians. We need to show love to all people. Jesus tells the story of a man who is beaten up and left for dead on the side of a street. A priest ignores him. 
a, a religious official ignores him, but a Muslim goes over and cares for him. And Jesus says, you've got to be like that man. You need to show that sort of love to whoever you meet. But this particular story, Matthew 25, 31 to 46, is not about showing love to all people. This particular story is saying that because Jesus identifies himself so much with his people, the nations will be judged by how they've responded to the people of Jesus. Remember to whom Jesus is speaking here. This story comes at the end of a very long section. It begins in Matthew 24, verse 3, in which Jesus has been having a private discussion with his disciples. And Jesus is speaking to those who would in the future go hungry and thirsty and be strangers and have nothing, who would suffer imprisonment and sickness because they followed him. Jesus is speaking to his followers who would become the outcasts of society. They would become the scum of society. They would be rejected and ridiculed and persecuted. One one thinks today, I suppose the equivalent would be those in the Syrian refugee camps forced to flee their homes from militants because they are Christian believers. They're exactly the hungry, thirsty, naked, stranger, sick and imprisoned who Jesus has in mind. And what Jesus is saying is that the world, the nations, will be judged, he says, to his followers as they're gathered around him. He says, the world will be judged on how it treats you. Do they reject you? Do they mock you? Do they treat you as a joke? Look at how popular culture treats women who choose to give up everything for Christ in order to live in community and become nuns. Or or do they show you love? Do they feed you, give you a glass of water, welcome you, provide for you, care for you and support you? Because when they welcome you, says Jesus, when they show love to you, they're welcoming me and they're showing love to me. A society really will be judged by how it deals with the weakest and most vulnerable of society. Peoples will be judged by how we treat our outcasts. And in the first century, Christians were the outcasts. And if my reading of the New Testament is right, in every century, Christians should be the outcasts. That's why there is surprise in this passage. People who would not have expected to receive mercy from God, but who showed love and compassion to the people of Jesus, discover they have an astonishing reward. Why? Because in showing love to the people of God, they're showing love to the Lord Jesus Christ. And people who thought that they lived good lives and that God owed them a place in heaven, but who rejected that God, but who rejected or neglected other Christians especially those who find themselves on the bottom of the heap, discover that they are excluded. Why? Because in rejecting those, in neglecting those, they are rejecting and neglecting the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus is saying to his followers, as they gathered around him in this conversation, he's saying, don't worry, 
I am with you. You're going to be hungry, thirsty, strangers, naked. You're going to get sick and imprisoned. You're going to be at the bottom of the pit. I know. I'm about to be crucified. That's the next verse. But I will rise again and I will be so close to you. So close to you. That what people do to you is what they do to me. Their eternal destiny will rest on how they treat you. Because how they treat you is how they treat me. So what is this passage saying to us who are followers of Jesus, but who are not at the bottom of society, who are not hungry, thirsty, strangers, naked, sick, or imprisoned? Well, firstly, I think we need to re-examine our Christian faith. The expectation of the New Testament is that because of our faith, Christians will be at the bottom of the heap. Paul says in Timothy, those who wish to live a godly life, we've already heard it, thank you Christine for saying that, she didn't know I was going to say this in the prayers, will be persecuted. Jesus says, unless we take up our cross and deny ourselves and follow him, we cannot be his disciples. We are the community of people who've been called to take up a towel, to take up a bowl and to go and to wash the feet of others. We're the community who've been called to do the work of slaves. And there's a verse which constantly stands over against me, as it did for many believers in the first few centuries, but which I suspect as we've grown more materially prosperous, we found more and more difficult, and we've pushed more and more away. It's the verse where Jesus says to the rich young man, go and sell all you have and give to the poor and come and follow me. That is the challenge. I think this passage rests on the assumption that Jesus thinks that Christians will be there with the naked, the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the sick, and the imprisoned. And sometimes I want to ask myself, why am I not actually there? Maybe if I actually really believed this book and did what this book said, maybe I would be there. And secondly, though, we can take enormous comfort from these verses because Jesus identifies himself with his people, with us. He's our brother. More than that, he is so close to us. He is closer than our breathing. But what people do to us, they do to him, and what people do to him is what they did do to him. They, they crucified him and rose again. Actually, we share in that. Uh, and that's particularly true when we're in those places of desperation. And thirdly and finally, we can ask God to change us, to make us more like the Lord Jesus. I return to where I began. We give thanks for our Christian heritage. We live in a society which has for many years chosen to feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, care for the sick and provide for the prisoner. They're what God wants done for his people and they are things that he wants done for everyone. They should be done for all. But we can't just leave it to the state to do it. We need to allow God to work in us, to change us, to give us a new vision of others, 
so that we see them with his eyes. And we need to pray that he will change us so that we learn to provide for, welcome, care for, and visit not only those who are our brothers and sisters, but all people. I was reading about Hugh, Bishop of Lincoln, who died in 1200. One of the days this week was the day when we remember him in the church's calendar. A monk writes of a visit that he paid together with the bishop to a hospital. He writes of how the bishop went around among the diseased men and how he bent down and he kissed them. And the monk writes this, Have pity, sweet Jesus, on the happy, unhappy soul of the narrator. I cannot conceal, would that it were concealed from your vengeance, how much I shuddered, not merely to touch, but even to behold those swollen and livid, diseased and deformed faces, with the eyes either distorted or hollowed out, and the lips eaten away. To an eye darkened by arrogance, the pearl of God did not gleam in the mire. But your servant Hugh, whose eyes you had completely blinded to external superficiality, saw clearly their internal splendour, and therefore those seemed to him the more beautiful, who outwardly were the most horribly diseased. So we pray, dear Father, that you will work in me, in each one of us. You will transform us so that we look on people with the eyes of your Son, our Lord Jesus, and so that we will love them with his love. Amen.